So I have a, another fun fact about tampons. We love fun facts about tampons. <laughs> In 1983, uh, tampons went to space when uh, astronaut Sally Ride became the first woman in space. She was asked by the NASA engineers if 100 tampons would be enough for a week uh, in space when she was going to the space shuttle Challenger. And uh, it seems a little bit excessive for a week-long journey, so I guess uh, the probably male engineers didn't really understand how a woman's menstrual cycle (laughs) worked. No, and they probably didn't (laughs) ask the women of hidden figures Yeah, that either. (laughs) Probably not. And uh, Probably like, just stick to math, we'll deal with the periods. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, they came up with a way to uh, tie all the strings of the tampons together so that they wouldn't float away uh, in space. (laughs) Imagine they got out in space and there's just like a floating (laughs) web of tampons. (laughs) And then we have to worry about them crashing into Earth. Yeah, or like (laughs) taking forever to break down in space, (laughs) creating some sort of fireball yeah (laughs) as it enters the atmosphere Welcome to Red Dot Project. I'm Haley. And I'm Phil. This podcast is about... Menstruation. Homelessness. Feminism. Social justice issues. Gender equity. And pretty much everything else we could think of. In this episode, we are going to be talking about periods, menstruation, tampons, menstrual cups, and maybe more. For this episode, we have a special guest with us. We have Stephanie here. Hey, Stephanie. So if you listen to episode one, you would know that Stephanie is another member of the Red Dot Project team, and she has agreed to join us today to help talk about some of the things that we're talking about today. All right, Haley, Stephanie, how well do you know menstruation? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right now I pulled up BuzzFeed's hardest period quiz ever, and we're going to see how well you both know about periods. Mm-hmm. All right, have, let's do it. Uh, almost 16 years of firsthand experience, so we'll see. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Number one, what is shed during a menstrual period? Ovarian lining, endometrium, vaginal tissue, or corpus cavernosum? B. Yeah. B? And, endome- endometrium. endometrium? Is that what it was? Yeah. Let's see. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Correct. Let's move on. I don't know if we're going to do all these, but let's move on to number two. Number two. Which of these hormones are not involved in the menstrual cycle? Mm. Biology. Lithium zing hormone, progesterone, follicle-stimulating hormone, or oxytocin? So which of these types of hormone are not involved in the menstrual cycle? What was the first one again? Oh, man. The hard one. Luteinizing hormone. I think I remember that one, actually, from biology in, like, grade 12. I think it's oxytocin. Yeah, I was going to say that. All right, let's see. 
Oh, correct again. Because that's like the feel-good hormone. Mm-hmm. Definitely don't feel good when <laughs> <laughs> your uterine lining is shredding. So oxytocin is involved in female reproduction, but not in the menstruation. It's actually released to induce contractions during labor and stop bleeding after childbirth. Hmm. It is also released in the nipples when stimulated during breastfeeding. Hmm. Yeah, because it makes you feel like more connected to your baby. It's like the cuddle hormone or whatever. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Number three. How long is the average menstrual cycle? Seven days, 28 days, 60 days, or two days? 28. Correct again. <laughs> Number four. How long is the average period? Oh, see, that was a trick question there, right? Yeah, the first one yeah. menstrual cycles. This one's a period. All right. One to two days, three to five days, seven to ten days, 12 to 15 I'd say, wait, was option two five to seven? Three to five? Oh, three to five. And then it was... Seven to ten. Seven to ten. Three to five? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'd think I'd go with that one. Or either one. <laughs> oh, yeah. <just laughs> one of the four. Yeah. <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> All right, three to five. We're going to click that one. You sure? Yeah. Go for it. Why not? Oh, correct. <laughs> Average period is three to five days long. Seems short. Mm-hmm. Which of these is not part of the menstrual blood? Oh, more science words. <laughs> Corpus luteum, cervical mucus, sodium, or iron? Mm. Sodium? Yeah, I think it's sodium. Wrong! <laughs> what? Uh, it was corpus luteum. I thought that was like the egg, though. So cor- the corpus luteum is not in menstrual blood. Mm-hmm. Period blood is oh, made yeah. up of the shed of uterine lining, mucus, potassium, sodium, chloride, and iron. Hmm. Can you actually have a period while on birth control? Yes or no? Yes. Wait, no. Know. No, yeah, it's I no. It's a trick question. I remember yeah. this. It's like... You bleed, but it's not a real period. Yeah, is that it's what just it is? because it's like withdrawal from the hormones. Okay, let's see. Oh, wrong. What? Yes, you can get a period while on birth control. You can still get a period when you're on hormonal birth control, such as the pill, the ring, or IUD. Yeah. The synthetic true. estrogen in birth control allows you to build the extrometrial lining so it can shed. Yeah, they always say it's just like a fake period or like it's just because yeah, of the withdrawal yeah. when you're on the pill because like it's the same time every month. But yeah, I guess when you're on like the IUD, you don't take it out. So it doesn't really make <laughs> sense that it wouldn't be a period. All right. What is the average amount of blood loss during a period? Um, one liter, <laughs> 500 milliliters, one to two milliliters, or 30 to 40 milliliters. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe 30 to 40. Yeah, I was going to say 30. See, this is the one I got wrong in a previous quiz. So 30 to 40 milliliters? Yeah. Okay. Correct. Ah. On average, you lose about 30 to 40 milliliters or about 2.5 tablespoons of menstrual blood during (laughs) a period. All right, last question. Glad it's not a liter. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. That would be awful. (laughs) Which of the following is not a symptom associated with periods? Hmm. Irregular appetite, sleep disturbances, 
acne or bad breath? <laughs> Which bad is not. Breath. <laughs> yeah. It's Correct. Uh, bad breath is not a symptom associated with periods. Periods can come with a whole range of physical and mental symptoms, but bad breath is definitely not one of them. <laughs> so I think out of all the questions that we did, you all just got one wrong. Yeah. Congratulations. So you guys are master of periods. <laughs> Period experts. Yeah. You could put it on your resume. <laughs> Years of experience. Yeah. <laughs> so, Phil, now it's my turn to quiz you. Uh-oh. Okay, go. <laughs> when do you think the first modern tampon was invented? Oh, wow. Um, I would say 60s. Hmm. Actually, it was 1931. Ooh, so close. Yeah. Yeah, a lot earlier than I would have thought as well. So, yeah, the first uh, modern applicator tampon was invented in 1931 by um, an American doctor called Earl Haas. And uh, then it was uh, purchased, the patent was purchased by a woman named Gertrude Tendrick. And she... uh, bought the patent and started producing uh, the tampons in her home uh, by sewing them, and then she distributed them under, under the name Tampax, which is one of the most well-known uh, tampon companies today. I have heard of them. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone has, I think, and then... Uh, They're the blue box, I think. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Do they even come in boxes? Yeah, they do come in boxes yeah. still. Yeah. yeah. Of course they do. Pads come in plastic wrap mm-hmm. usually, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, during World War II, Tampax factories were uh, also making surgical dressings and bandages uh, for the soldiers. So they uh, maybe didn't know that all their all this stuff that they were using in the war was coming from a tampon factory, but <laughs> it was effective. So I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if there'd be like a guy, a soldier that'd be like, uh, "No thanks, I will just bleed out." Yeah, <laughs> I don't want anything that's come in contact with. vaginas yeah (laughs) menstruation (laughs) women on their periods so before uh tampons were used uh for menstruation they were actually used for a variety of other purposes including uh, contraception and a way of distributing medicine and a method of healing so uh, in general the term tampon is usually associated with uh, the French word, I think, for plug. And it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it generates a <laughs> nice image there. But yeah, French back is so then. visual. With yeah. <laughs> and it also refers to something on the end of a gun, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, the period is a weapon. Mm hmm. Exactly. A weapon for gender equity. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so back in, in the day, it was uh, a tampon was used to keep things out of uh, the vagina and instead of keeping them in, <laughs> I guess. So some of the uses or some uh, things that tampons were made of included crushed earth from the Nile in Egypt mixed with honey inside a wad of linen, and this was used to treat certain gynecological conditions or vaginal infections. Um, Elephant and crocodile dung were also used, which doesn't sound very sanitary. Well, we use it for our coffee sometimes, too. Yeah, that's true. You're (laughs) drinking it. (laughs) And uh, this was actually used as a contraceptive, um, as well as lint soaked in acacia juice. Lint? I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so that was in uh, ancient Egypt as well. Tampons uh, soaked in goose fat or opium were used by the Romans to treat uh, gynecological problems. In the Kama Sutra, they refer to uh, tampons made out of oil and rock salt used as contraceptives. So apparently the rock salt is uh, actually an effective spermicide, but it couldn't be very comfortable, I don't think. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So the first uh, recorded case of women using tampons for menstrual purposes was actually in Japan, and they used uh, tampons made out of paper, which uh, didn't last very long, and they needed to be changed pretty often, up to 12 times per day. And then uh, in 1930s, the the modern tampon was invented. And in the 40s, the uh, one without the applicator was invented by a German gynecologist, People are probably familiar with OB tampons, and uh, I always kind of wondered what that meant. And it's uh, the German words are, uh, I can't pronounce it, but essentially it means no pad. And that's where like the, the O and the B come from, the German words for no pad. So that uh, probably answers a common question that many people had about those. (laughs) (laughs) During World War II, many women were entering the workforce and thus uh, they needed a a better way to manage their periods uh, while they were working. So many more women started using tampons. However, there were lots of concerns about this, especially amongst uh, people who were more religious because they were worried that using a tampon might mean that a woman or a girl would not be a virgin anymore or it would make them uh, more promiscuous. However, they just uh, they continued to get more popular, especially during the 1960s and 70s, uh, which was the time of the sexual revolution. And today, about 42% of women use tampons, but in the late 70s and 80s, there was a pretty big scare about uh, toxic shock syndrome, which is an infection that can be associated with tampons, and I think uh, you did some more research about that. Yeah, so toxic shock syndrome is a bacterial infection. The bacteria produces TSST1, so toxic shock syndrome toxins, and the toxin which prompts the immune system to overreact, which causes your body to go into shock as inflammation spreads and fever rise. So if you go unchecked with uh, these symptoms, it can cause your body to have multi-organ failure. So the scary part about it is that the toxins can enter the bloodstream and so they could actually happen anywhere in your body. It wouldn't be isolated to uh, your vagina. And yeah, so really they say if you start to feel feverish and a lot of aches and pains and things like that, suddenly you should probably go get it checked out sooner than later. One thing to note is although we often hear about the risks and the scares of TSS, especially in the news, anytime it comes up and we get scared about it, it actually is quite rare. Mm -hmm. Uh, They say about one to two out of every 100,000 women ever get diagnosed with it. So they do say that there are certain products that you can use that are less likely to cause TSS, such as menstrual cups. And we'll talk a little bit more about menstrual cups in a little bit. But that's mainly because of the materials that menstrual cups are used in comparison to tampons. Mm -hmm. So the association of TSS and tampons uh, where we got really scared of tampons came from around the 70s. 
where in the 70s, about three quarters of TSS cases were tampon related. And the main reason why we have come to learn that they were caused by tampons or relating to tampons was because women were keeping them in longer. And there was a product called Rely. It's a tampon brand that was marketed as to absorb the entire period's worth of blood. Mm -hmm. So it contained a chemical called carboxymethylcellulose. I just butchered that. So we'll go with CMC. Sounds about right. Yeah. So CMC allowed the tampons to absorb about 20 times its own weight. It's also in ice cream and biscuits. So it's not (laughs) like it's necessarily a scary chemical but in regards to tampons and where you're using tampons it really creates a breeding ground for bacteria to grow which makes it dangerous for tampons so cmc is now banned in tampons so since it was banned we've seen a significant drop in tss rates with regards to tampons but the reputation it has with tampons sort of sticks today so that's why we still have that fear Mm-hmm. That we see. Uh, today, most of the uh, concerns that uh, people have about using tampons are uh, centered around some of the other ingredients in them, uh, such as bleach or, or chlorine, which is used to uh, bleach the cotton uh, used in tampons. And nobody really knows exactly what the long-term effects of that uh, on the, the human body are. And also the fact that they're not environmentally friendly, so they uh, can pile up in landfills and take a long time to uh, biodegrade. So a lot of people have started using alternatives such as organic cotton uh, pads and tampons and also things like the menstrual cup. And something I just learned about today, which is a sea sponge as a tampon. Apparently, lots of people are doing this, and some people are also making their own tampons at home. So to be more environmentally friendly, but also to avoid some of the uh, the chemicals that people aren't quite sure how they're affecting our bodies. In an article I did read, I did see that they say the organic tampons don't necessarily make it safer mm. than the regular tampons. There's, there hasn't been a real study that actually can say that the tampons that you see regularly in stores are at a higher risk of TSS mm-hmm. than compared to uh, organic. But we know like if you want to use organic for uh, environmental reasons mm-hmm. and things like that, it makes sense then for sure. Then you can use them for that. Yeah, they're definitely more expensive, though, most of the time, the Mm -hmm. organic ones. Yeah, for sure. So getting more into the menstrual cup history, the first menstrual cup was actually patented in 1932 by a midwifery group of McGlasson and Perkins. Later on, Leona Chambers patented the first usable commercial cup in 1937. Clearly, menstrual cups did not pick up and people didn't start buying them off the you know, store shelves and stuff like that. So it did not actually catch until about the 2000s. Previously, menstrual cups were made of rubber. In 2001, the first silicone cup was made by a UK manufacturer company called Moon Cup. So most of them are made of medical grade silicone because of the durability and the hypoallergenic properties. Or One of the main reasons we probably don't see menstrual cups advertised nearly as much or made by some of the top tampon pad uh, manufacturers is simply because they're just so reusable Mm -hmm. that when you sell one to somebody, you're not going to really get a customer repeat sale for 
up to maybe five years, mm-hmm. which doesn't make good sense in their business model, I'm sure. So uh, for the most part, like we do see menstrual cups now on the store shelves. But I think if you do a search, you'd be surprised of how many more are actually available online. Hey, Lucy. Hey, Phil. How are you enjoying this podcast thing we got going on? It's great. Yeah, you having a good time? Yep. You know what? What? You could be involved in this podcast too every week if you check out at Red Dot Project on Twitter or Instagram and you could leave your comments, questions, or suggestions for new topics on a future podcasts. That's great. Yeah. And what we're going to ask you to do as soon as you get off this mic is go onto your phone, subscribe to Red Dot Project on iTunes podcast app, and rate and subscribe today. Are you doing it? Yep. All right. I didn't, I'm not seeing you do it. I'm doing it. Thank you. All right. So please, everyone, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please subscribe to our podcast on your podcast app on your phone rate and comment on it and then we could continue to bring great content to you can't wait to hear from you so steph has a little bit more information on menstrual cups steph (laughs) (laughs) yeah so as Haley previously mentioned they're a more environmentally friendly alternative to pads and tampons initially their cost is greater but in the long run they definitely are a lot more affordable the reusable ones can last you up to five years or more and they just save you the cost of having to go out every month and purchasing pads and tampons which can add up very very quickly the reusable ones are generally made out of medical grade silicone but they can also come in latex or thermoplastic elastomer i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that correctly but they also do have disposable menstrual cups mm. which are also known as menstrual discs however those are not usually recommended for teens because of the diameter of them they might be like a little uncomfortable and they're also just not as common because usually people buy them for the reasons of like affordability and stuff like that so the reusable one is like definitely the most popular item on the market and so generally they come in like a different range of sizes depending on the brand they kind of vary a tiny bit here and there but generally they come in like a smaller one or a larger one so the smaller one is usually recommended for individuals under 30 who haven't given birth vaginally. So if if you have given birth naturally and you're over 30, they usually recommend that you go with the larger size. That way you can avoid leakage and it's just a better fit overall. So for me personally, I've never used a menstrual cup, but definitely after looking into it, sounds like it has some benefits. But they're definitely very tricky in terms of figuring out how to use them. So there is definitely a bit of a learning curve to it. And there are a few steps that you have to follow. So these are the steps that are available on the Diva Cup website. So Diva Cup offers two different 
types. They have a U-fold one or a push-down fold one. They just differ in terms of how you fold it. For the U-fold one, your first step would be to press down the sides of the cup together and kind of fold it into like a U-shape that you want to make it as tight as possible. And, and for the push-down one, you would place your finger on like the top of the rim and then press it down into the center to kind of form what looks a bit like a triangle. So that's the first step to using a Diva Cup is you want to fold it. And the second step would be you want to hold it very firmly in place into the place you folded it. And you want to hold it firmly in between your thumb and forefinger so that the curved edge is facing away from your palm. And then the next step would be to insert it. So you want to make sure that you are in a comfortable position and you want to try and have your vaginal muscles as relaxed as possible to make the insertion as smooth as possible. So they say to use like your free hand to kind of like gently separate the labia and then push the curved edge of the cup horizontally into the vaginal opening. So essentially what you want to do is you want to insert it like towards your tailbone is kind of how they described it. And you want to make sure it's no further than half an inch into your vagina. So because if you insert it too high, there's the possibility that leakage will occur. And then following the insertion, you have to seal and rotate it. So what that means is you have to grip the menstrual cup by the base. So not by the stem, like the tip of it, but actually by the base. And you have to turn it one full rotation, 360 degrees in either direction. So that part is to ensure that it's properly situated. And they also say you have to like push the sides of the cup as well, just to make sure that, that it's like fully open. It's like suctioned properly, <laughs> so to speak. And so again, to, av- to avoid leakage. As somebody who never used any menstrual products ever, that sounds like a lot of work mm-hmm. from yeah. you know, what I understand of how to use a tampon or a pad. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the benefits of using a menstrual cup? Well, I guess the benefits would be that you don't have to change it as often. So like, whereas if you use a tampon or a pad, you might have to change it more frequently throughout the day. Oh, like you only have to change a menstrual cup like twice a day. But the issue there also is that we were discussing kind of earlier is that if you take it out in a public restroom and you kind of have to like Mm -hmm. rinse and wash it out, that can be a little inconvenient and not very practical for some women. But yeah, that's definitely a plus side in addition to just the general like affordability. Although it is like initially more expensive because I think they generally run about 40 to $60 Mm -hmm. depending But yeah, and it's definitely a lot more environmentally friendly, of course, Mm -hmm. because it's a one-time purchase for a rather long period of time, and it eliminates so much waste in terms of packaging or just like just the individual tampons and pads in general. So in that sense, I think that's a huge benefit, considering everyone's quite aware of global warming and, and the urgency in terms of needing to take care of our environment. So I think every little bit helps, and for something like menstrual products where you do have to use them monthly. It's um, not something you can really avoid. So in that sense, it would really reduce a lot of waste, I think. Yeah, I have about 20 billion pads or tampons are disposed of in North America each year. Yeah, so that's a lot. And that definitely has a huge impact on our environment for sure. And what about uh, the process of maintaining or cleaning them? So they say you have to 
boil it in water for at least five minutes, which I guess like may be a deterrent for some people Mm -hmm. in terms of hygiene or in terms of just practicality, Mm -hmm. like having to do that because when you're using a tampon or pad, it's just you put one in, you throw it out, right? Mm -hmm. So there's not really any kind of maintenance or care involved as opposed to using a menstrual cup. Mm -hmm. But I feel like as with anything else, if you just got into the habit of it or doing it, it Mm -hmm. may not be that much of an effort. Fits might greatly outweigh the cost of. Mm -hmm. I think some areas it might be difficult for people to use them would be probably if they are homeless. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. So they wouldn't be able to boil it. And I don't think the soup kitchen's kitchen is going to let you use their pot. No, absolutely. And that's also what is a huge thing when it comes to menstrual cups because even just when you're talking affordability yeah in the long run they are a lot more affordable because you're reducing it's an investment right so like you're reducing your costs in the long run but some people just can't afford to produce that money up front because at Mm -hmm. the end of the day sixty dollars or forty dollars however much is that's quite a bit more than a box of tampons or pads might cost. So Mm -hmm. in that sense, it's not a realistic option for a lot of people, but for a lot of people it is as well. So, but definitely for the homeless, it, it probably would not be the most practical option and definitely in developing nations as well. It's, it's not really the most realistic option. I saw somewhere that they talked about how there are some NGOs promoting the use of menstrual cups in places like Kenya and parts of South Africa. There's probably a lot of different issues that come with that, you know, access to clean water. Mm-hmm. For um, sure, yeah. How do you keep it clean and make sure it's safe to use? And then there's the other parts of like the cultural aspects regarding, you know, inserting a product into your vagina, stretching or breaking the hymen, which could occur with the menstrual cups. Yeah, I think that's also like similar to what Haley was talking about earlier, like historically with tampons, Mm -hmm. that was like a huge thing too, and worried that it would like encourage, you know, women to be more promiscuous or whatever else. So the cultural aspect definitely uh, plays Mm -hmm. a role. I think generally just the, yeah, like the stigma around periods and being afraid of it being seen right because with the menstrual cup like you were saying you if you have to take it out and empty it in a public bathroom then you would right. risk like maybe accidentally you know like spilling some of the blood or like having to wash it out in the public sink and having people see you do it or see you know the blood and having that sort of like potential for embarrassment or shame yeah. attached to it right yeah absolutely well, that's just why we need more private washrooms in our mm-hmm. public spaces so that could mean more Starbucks. <laughs> Which you wouldn't complain about. I yeah. would not. Although, you know, I'm sure people aren't crazy about Starbucks, but yeah. they do have private gender-neutral washrooms. So that they have been a pretty, for some people, it's been a safe place. Mm-hmm. And in the news recently, I guess it hasn't been a safe place for others, unfortunately. But hopefully uh, all washrooms are going to be places where they're safe and hopefully they all have private areas where people could wash their menstrual cups Mm -hmm. yeah for sure i think touching on that as well i mean this is a little off topic but i think it's still important when Cass clemmer kind of spoke about how difficult it is to be a trans individual and crinkling Mm. of like wrapper of like the tampon or whatever it might be it could even like be a situation where your own safety Mm -hmm 
is at risk and being threatened and I think that is just terrible <laughs> like I think that's that's scary it's a very scary situation to be in I couldn't imagine being in that situation where it's a naturally process that's occurring and you don't feel comfortable that it's happening <laughs> mm-hmm. when you really have no control over something like that so mm-hmm. well I think we all agree that pads and tampons should be readily available in all washrooms for free. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just saw on Twitter earlier today, one of the feeds of people that I follow tweeted and said it would only cost about under $5 to provide tampons for a single employee per year. So if you just add $5 for each employee that you have, um, that's not a lot of money for a whole year's worth of supply for um, people to make sure that they have the products that they need. And it should definitely be in both male and female washrooms if your location has gendered washrooms because you just never know who needs them. Mm-hmm. That's like also Same a huge part condoms. of the stigma, right? Mm-hmm. Is assuming that it's a women's issue. Mm-hmm. But wasn't it? It was Humber Lakeshore, right? That this yep. past April they did. Um, they had that huge campaign and they managed to get menstrual products supplied to the bathrooms. Yep, so Humber College is providing menstrual products for people starting, I I guess, this year, or if if they haven't already done it already, so they'll have them available to everybody in the washrooms for free. Mm -hmm. Which is awesome, because we're moving forward, people. (laughs) But I think I I remember reading that article, and I think they were also saying, um, if I remember correctly, that the cost of having someone to collect the the coin-operated, like, mm-hmm. dispensers actually is greater than if they were to just, like, supply them freely. So it kind of, kind of balances out. Yeah, the group um, over at Humber, it's called Ignite Student Life, and uh, they were the ones responsible of getting all the tampons kits um, available on location. Shout out to them. Hit us up when you can come on the pod. <laughs> We'd love yeah. to talk to you one day. For sure. So menstrual cups are also evolving to be more inclusive to everybody as well. Something people probably don't think about is not only is menstrual cups probably pretty new for people, they might not be accessible for everybody to use. Yeah, I can imagine it would be pretty tricky to navigate if you had uh, any sort of injury to your hands or any uh, sort of disability that affected the use of your hands or your fingers. Yeah, to be able to reach in and get it out in a way that you're not going to spill it or anything like that. It could be very difficult for some people, I imagine. So in looking into this, there was a Teen Vogue article, and there was a person by the name of Jane Hartman Adami. She created the Kila cup. So it looks much like a regular menstrual cup that you're all used to seeing. However, the tab part that usually you use to pull the menstrual cup out it is actually attached to part of the rim of the cup. So when you pull it, it does pull part of the rim down a little, so it sort of dislodges the suction you have, which creates it a much easier pull out. So you don't have to dig as deep to take that suction apart. And it makes it a lot easier for somebody who has certain 
disabilities to get it out. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have to worry about uh, it spilling either. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. when you do pull it, it sort of closes the rim a little. So mm-hmm. it does make it a little bit easier also. So if you check Kickstarter, you would be able to find that. I think they just started sending them out in May, it said, on the website. So I imagine something like that would be pretty popular for a lot of people just in general because the ability to just use a lot easier. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting how uh, far we've come and how many innovations there have been in, in the field of menstruation products and how there's probably more to come. Yeah, I think it's just in general with anything, like how often do we have the evolution of a product where it is more inclusive for everybody? Mm-hmm. And it's pretty cool to see how something like menstrual cups where they really started being used in the 2000s and now we're 2018 we're already seeing an evolution of them where they are more accessible for everybody mm-hmm. in menstrual cup news actually south korea just recently started making them themselves last month last december is when they were actually approved by their fda equivalent to have them available for sale in korea otherwise before that people would have to buy them from worldwide sellers but it would be never sold in korea so they had a bit of a shortage in pads that summer and then people petitioned and asked for the government to make them available and just last month lote mart they're one of like the big like companies in korea and they're making their brand of menstrual cups and they should be on sale now over there so menstrual cups are spreading Mm-hmm. around the world always good for people to have more options so the music's playing now and that means our time is up for this episode of the red dot project so let's thank stephanie for coming on board for this episode thanks for having me so i'm sure that she'll be back soon you can reach us at red dot project on instagram and twitter or at podcast at red.projectToronto.org. So be sure to subscribe, like, and comment on our page on Apple iTunes podcast page thing and anywhere else where you find your podcasts and tell your friends. And that's it. So talk to you later. Bye.